0: If you have your Bible, let's go to Exodus chapter 4. We are going to finish this chapter, verses 19 through 31. Uh, One of the interesting uh, dilemmas that you run into when you preach expositionally or systematically through a book is that you run into some of the difficult passages of Scripture or ones that just aren't as easy to uh, understand on the surface, and either you have a glaring gap that your entire church sees when you skip over it Or you've got to figure out what it means and try to explain it to a room full of people. And uh, tonight is one of those passages that's not necessarily theologically deep, but it is one of those stories that when you read, it makes you scratch your head and say, why would God act that way? You know, sometimes we read how God behaves in Scripture, and it takes us uh, some time to process and say, why is God acting this way In this situation of course there is always an explanation uh, but uh, it requires a little bit of work and so let's go to work tonight Exodus chapter 4 verse 19 and the Lord said unto Moses in Midian go return into Egypt for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand, and the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go." And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass, by the way, in the end, that the Lord met him, that is Moses, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision." And the Lord said to Aaron, "'Go into the wilderness to meet Moses.' And he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people.' And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that He had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray. Lord, once again, it is our privilege to mine out the treasures that You have buried in Your Word. We are so thankful, Lord, that some sit right on the surface easy to find for all and that others are the reward of diligent study. Father, I pray that tonight we would be diligent in our studies, that we would study to show ourselves approved unto you, rightly dividing the word, and that we might unearth this precious jewel that we learned tonight about setting our house in order. God, help me to preach your word accurately and passionately, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you read that text of scripture, it has a nice flow to it uh, as it continues on from what happened in the previous part of the chapter where God empowered Abraham and equipped him to go and then he tells him to go and he's going and God says, here's the message that you're going to go with. You're going to tell Pharaoh this and if Pharaoh doesn't do that, then this is going to happen. And then it picks right back up and they went on and met Aaron and they went and told it to the elders and the elders heard it and they celebrate, but right in the middle of that, are these couple of verses that seem very odd and out of place that while Moses is in route to Egypt, God comes and meets him and threatens to kill him. And Zipporah has to circumcise their son to get him out of that situation. And so when we read that passage of Scripture, uh, we look at that and say, okay, well, let's figure out what's going on here. Think about it. Moses has been prepared 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, and 40 years in shepherd school. His first 40 years, he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It tells us that he was raised up in Pharaoh's courts, that he would have been educated with the finest education that Egypt had to offer, that he not only had a great education, but that he had actually made some pretty major accomplishments in his life, and he spent that first 40 years there. But in that preparation, God saw that he was not ready for the task at hand, and so he sends him to the backside of the desert where he is a shepherd for another 40 years and so at this point God has 80 years of preparation invested in Moses not only that Moses has been called as you remember while he was alone in the backside of the desert he noticed a burning bush and he was spiritually sensitive enough to look closer And had a personal encounter with God. We know that as he turned aside to see what was going on in that bush, that's when God spoke. It wasn't until Moses gave the closer look. And so we see that there was some spiritual sensitivity. That Moses sensed something is going on here in this anomaly of this bush burning that is out of the normal because it is not being consumed. And so as he went to explore, God speaks to him and he has... A personal encounter with God. God equips Moses with power and presence and promise. We see that referred to in verses 20 and 21 when it says that Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Remember when Moses made objections to God and says, well, I can't do this job. I can't go. God said, what's in your hand? Well, I've just got my shepherd's rod, my shepherd's staff, and God said, throw it down. It becomes a serpent, pick it up, and it goes back to normal. God empowered that rod, but we also saw that God didn't just empower what was in Moses' hand but he empowered Moses' hand. We remember the second sign was to stick his hand into the bosom of his shirt and when he pulled it out it was leprous and when he put it back in it came out whole and clean again. And there's the reference to that that God has equipped Moses. He has given him power. He has given him his presence. I will go with you Moses. He has given him his promise. This is what I'm going to do through you. Moses reluctantly steps out of his comfort zone in faith and obedience to God's word. When God answers the objections that he has, Moses finally says, okay, I'll go. And he goes and tells his father-in-law. And we see him stepping out of his comfort zone as he loads up his wife and his children. And he begins that trek to Egypt. Then, en route to Egypt, doing what God has called him, equipped him, and empowered him to do. We read these words, Then the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Why do you think that God would do that, considering that God has already prepared him, called him, and equipped him for service? Why would God meet him an attempt to kill him after all of this preliminary process has taken. Well, the answer is found in the text. The answer is found in the following verses. As Moses' wife Zipporah circumcises their son, satisfying the requirements of God and saving her husband from certain death. That's the only explanation that we have. They are at the end. They are lodging God in a theophany, a pre-incarnate. Christ comes and physically is threatening or about to do harm to Moses the reaction that we see in the text is that Moses wife picks up a sharp stone circumcises their son and when she does that that's when the situation is alleviated although Moses is the one that God threatened to kill he is not the only one who is to blame in this matter Bible teachers believe that Moses' wife, Zipporah, uh, a non-Hebrew Midianite woman, if you remember, must have opposed uh, Moses on this issue of circumcision and that Moses has went along to get along, right? Because that was the sign of the covenant that was given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, passed on to Jacob's 12 sons, carried on in Egypt. Later, we're told that every man who came out of Egypt had been circumcised, so they've been carrying this practice on for these hundreds of years that they are in Egypt, and Moses here, who is the father of two sons, uh, does not have them circumcised, and you know how domestic life goes. In fact, you knew that Moses was in real trouble when his wife repeated herself to him, right? I mean, when she said it twice, you know that the intensity level just went. He was probably more frightened when she said it the second time than he was when God had him by the throat, right? And so uh, at some point, this issue has come up in their home, and the only logical explanation that Bible teachers can point to is is that Zipporah opposed that circumcision. Now, granted, it was not common in the world. It was a unique sign given to the Hebrews that God had given to them. And so we understand that being a cultural difference, that that could cause a problem uh, in their marriage. In support of this, notice that Moses is not immediately struck dead by God for his transgression. And so you might say, well, hold on a minute, Justin. I mean, you're reading into Scripture saying that Zipporah opposed him. Well, I'm filling in the blanks because if God wanted to kill Moses, he would have killed Moses, right? I mean, God didn't have to show up in person to do this. If God wanted Moses dead, if the goal was simply to kill Moses, Moses would not have made it out a lie, but rather... In this scene, Moses is held in harm's way by God or by an angel of God, by hand or by sword. We are not told the details of that, but he is held in harm's way under the threat of death. And Zipporah somehow knows that circumcision is the only thing that will de-escalate this dangerous situation. I don't know about you, but that's not my go-to move. Is it yours? If God shows up and has my spouse pinned down, I'm not looking for who I need to circumcise. It's just that doesn't even cross my radar screen. And so when we read that, we have to understand, hey, there is something more than what we're just seeing on the surface. Zipporah knew this either from pre a disagreement that her and Moses has had that she's opposed him on, or that God expressed it to them in that moment, and it's not recorded in Scripture for us. And so Zipporah... Performs the circumcision and God lets Moses go. That's all that is required. When she circumcises their son, Moses is re- immediately released from harm and he's back on the journey going to Egypt. Which begs the question why? Was circumcision so important to God? I mean, why is that so important? Why didn't God address that earlier? Why didn't God bring that up before? Why does God wait until He's in route and He says, Whoa, this journey is not going one step forward until you take care of this? Why was circumcision so important to God? Well, we have to look back to the origin. Of circumcision, And so, if you would, uh, leave your place in Exodus and go back with me to Genesis chapter 17, where we find the origin of circumcision in Scripture. What we discover is that circumcision was a divine sign. That is, it was originated by God and given to Abraham as a foundational sign of the covenant that God was making with Abraham and what would be the Abrahamic people. Genesis chapter 17, verse number 9, says this, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you Shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man, child, in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money or any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Watch verse 14. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised. That soul shall be cut off from his people He hath broken my covenant. Now, I can't explain to you all the reasons why God chose that sign. All I can tell you is that's the sign that God chose and he was serious about it. And just as he said that baptism would be the sign that accompanies our uh, salvation by faith, that, that he asked us as Christians to be baptized as a testimony, as a token of us entering into the covenant, this was the token sign that he had given to Abraham that was to be carried on to all of Abraham's people. The covenant is what made the Hebrews God's people and distinguished them from the rest of the world. This right here Genesis 17 is what set Abraham and all of his descendants apart from the rest of the world. In fact, it is right here in Genesis 17 that God divided the world into two types of people, Jews and Gentiles. And you find that carried out throughout the entire rest of the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, there is a third category that God adds. It's called out for us in 1 Corinthians ten thirty It is the Jew, the Gentile and the church of God. Because in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are one in Christ. But those are the three uh, categories that God placed everybody into. And right here is the dividing line. And the mark that he said that would divide them would be this mark of circumcision. The covenantal rite of circumcision was an explicit command from God. There were no two ways around it. There was not any Jew that could argue that they could be a Jew in the covenant in good standing without that ceremonial work or rite of circumcision. According to God's statement to Abraham, any Jewish male without this sign of the covenant, he said, that soul shall be cut off from his people, for he hath broken my covenant. God said, this is a deal breaker. This separates you from my people. This is the sign of the covenant that you are in and that you are not out. So... Furthermore, it was the father's responsibility to bring his son into the covenant of God by the token of circumcision. It was given to Abraham, and Abraham was to pass it on, and it was the father's responsibility to carry it out. So, let's let's put the pieces back together for a moment. Here's Moses. He's been called. He's been equipped to lead the covenant people of God. God, right? That's who he's called to. They're all in Egypt. The covenant people of God are all housed in Egypt at the time of Moses. Moses has been called, Moses has been equipped to lead the covenant people of God, but he has failed in his first responsibility to his family. That is what's going on in Exodus chapter 4. That is why God interrupts Moses' journey at the end along the way in verses 24, 25, and 26. That is why God holds Moses under harm's way and threatens his life until Zipporah circumcises their son. It is because Moses has failed in his first responsibility, which was a spiritual responsibility of bringing his sons into the covenant of God and so here's my task tonight that is to bridge this text in Exodus chapter 4 to where you and I live in 2020 say what in the world that's an interesting story thanks for the background But what does it have to do with us? Why does God include that in Scripture? What is the lesson? What's the takeaway? The lesson here for us is that your home life matters immensely to God. Let me say that again. Your home life matters immensely to God. You see, God was willing to undo everything that had been done with Moses. The 40 years of preparation in Pharaoh's palace, uh, the 40 years of shepherd school, the empowerment that he had given to Moses, uh, the presence, the promises, the leading. I mean, this guy is en route on the way and God says, stop everything. You can't go one step further in this journey until we take care of what you've neglected to take care of in your home and so our home life matters immensely to God it's it just about took Moses out of the service of God and it can do the same for the leaders of God's people today would you go with me to a New Testament passage of scripture 1st Timothy chapter 3 I want to connect some dots here between our spiritual responsibility and our home life. We understand that Moses is a leader and that there are leadership lessons here for Moses. And as we look to the New Testament, we know that God wants some men to be in leadership. He has called or he has established leadership positions in his covenant community of the church And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and he outlines the requirements or the prerequisites for the pastor or bishop and the deacons. And notice what he includes. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, that's a home reference, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given a hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Look at the parenthetical statement that follows that in verse 5. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let's look at the second office, the office of deacon. In verse 8, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless, even so must their wise... Wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Isn't it interesting? Do you realize that God sets no theological training requirement for pastors, but he sets a spiritual requirement for their home? God sets no personality requirement for the deacon. And he never says that they have to be the most magnanimous people in the world. But he does set a spiritual requirement for the home. Why? Because your home life matters immensely to God. And if we're going to be leaders in God's covenant community, God wants to make sure that our house is in order. While this is a specific requirement for these two leadership positions, let us remember that these serve as an example to the rest of the church. So some people might read that and say, oh, that's fine and good. That's, that's for the pastor. I believe that the pastor ought to do that. That's right. He ought to have his kids in order. They ought to be in church. They ought to be well-behaved. They shouldn't be running around here tearing stuff up and being a, a hoodlums in the community. That's right. If our pastor did that, we'd make sure that he, he, he'd have to step down because he didn't have his house in order. And if you're not a deacon, you might say, I believe those deacons, I'm telling you what, they're just as bad as the pastor's kids and, you know, those brothers so-and-so, he probably shouldn't be a deacon because his kid ran wild and all that stuff. May I remind you that while this is the specific requirement for these offices, the only two offices that God gave to the church, they do serve as the example for everybody else in the church. Where do I get that from? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Following right after the requirements of bishop and deacon, he says this, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, The pillar and ground of the truth. It is set within the context of the church. And he's saying, hey, look, we're supposed to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. By the way, that's not talking about a building. That's not talking about not running in the hallways at church. While I'm not for running in the hallways at church. He's talking about how we behave ourselves in the covenant community of God, the house of God, the the church of God, which we are. He is talking about how we conduct ourselves as Christians. So, even if you're not Moses, a pastor, or a deacon, your home life matters to God. That's worth saying again. Even if you're not Moses, a pastor, or a deacon, your home life matters to God. Just as God did with Moses, God holds the husband or the father responsible for the leadership, the spiritual leadership in the home. 1 Corinthians, I'll just read it to you, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Not a popular verse, I would say, in our day and time, but God gives a structure to the home. And he does say, hey, I've given husbands a responsibility. I've given wives a responsibility. And God has given to husbands the responsibility to lead their homes spiritually. This and other passages make it clear that God will hold us men accountable for the spiritual leadership of our home. We might say, well, you know, I'm just not that spiritual. My wife's way more spiritual than I am. She does a better job at it, so I just let her do it. Mm -mm. God nowhere made that caveat in Scripture that if you don't feel like you're a good leader or that you don't want to lead, that you can abdicate that responsibility to someone else and not be held responsible for it. God holds us men responsible for the spiritual leadership in our home. But as we observe from Moses and Zipporah, the wife can help or hinder her husband in his spiritual leadership responsibility right it could be argued that Zipporah had hindered Moses in his spiritual leadership if in fact she opposed the act of circumcision and that's why Moses hadn't circumcised his child then she would have been guilty of hindering that we could argue that she helped in the spiritual leadership of the home because on the other hand Moses might not just have been the spiritual leader that he should have been maybe he did not exert his leadership like he should have maybe he didn't push for his son to be circumcised, and so the responsibility fell to his wife, Zipporah. Just consider the premier passage of Scripture on the home, and I won't take the time to run you through all of it, but Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, going through the end, verse 33, and then chapter 6, 1 through 4, God explicitly calls out the roles of In the family. Wives, he gives a word to everybody submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God calls out the specific roles in the home that he wants for His covenant Christian people. And if you notice, husbands or fathers are given the primary responsibility and consequently the accountability to lead the home. God's given that responsibility to you and I. You see, when we consider that God is sovereign and that He is in control of everything in my life from the very inception to the day that I die then I have to accept the fact that God made me a man or if God made you a woman, whatever it may be, that's what God, my creator, made me and I have a responsibility preset that he has for me. So whether or not I feel like I'm a good leader, whether or not I feel like I can be the spiritual influence I need to be in my home, whether or not I feel like I have the Bible knowledge that I need to be able to uh, teach my kids and to lead my wife spiritually, that doesn't matter at all. The fact is God gave you and I that responsibility, and we cannot abdicate it. We cannot pawn it off. Yet consider the wife's responsibility of submission. Right, That won't win me any points, I'm sure, and so I'll tread lightly tonight. Uh, it'll make a major difference in the husband fulfilling his role of spiritual leader. Now, I'm not getting into all the details of this. I'm trying to, to stay within the context of what's going on with Moses and Zipporah. I think that it's evident as we look at the situation and we understand these roles that Even though the husband has the responsibility to lead spiritually, his wife plays a major role in it. Either she helps him be the spiritual leader that he needs to be, or she hinders him from being the spiritual leader that he needs to be. Now, let me tell you what submission is not, lest anybody have a false definition that they've heard from somewhere else or some legalistic path. Submission is not silence. Submission is not having a voice. Submission is not verbal abuse. Submission is not that the wife doesn't have any rights at all and she has to ask her husband for a nickel to go buy a stick of chewing gum. That is not biblical submission. Biblical submission is the idea that the wife understands that God has given my husband a responsibility and my job that he's given to me is to support him to stand with him, to help him, not to try and lead him because God didn't give that responsibility to her, but to help him in his leadership responsibility. Now, at the risk of getting in trouble uh, with uh, nobody in particular, I would say that just as there are some men who struggle with taking on the leadership responsibility that they're supposed to, There are some women who struggle with not stepping into that leadership position. That there are some ladies who have a drive, who who have a high standard, who have a passion, and it's just not happening the way they want it to happen. And so all of a sudden they get frustrated. Well, then if you're not going to do it, I'll do it. Hold on a minute. I understand where that comes from, but that is reversing the order that God gave and it's never going to help your husband be the leader, the spiritual leader, that God wants him to be. You see, when God designed the family, he knew exactly what he was doing. He created in a created order. He created Adam first. He created him first. And then he created Eve out of his side using his rib, creating a helpmate equal, suitable to a counterpart, a partner in life to complete one another. And then the Lord Jesus reiterated what God said in Genesis when he says that when you get married, you are to leave father and mother and cleave to one another and that you are supposed to be a unit where it's hard to tell where one leaves off and the other one picks up. And if you, as a wife, are saying, well, I can't trust that that fool to lead me anywhere then you shouldn't have married that man. You should have made that decision before the wedding day. But if you tied your wagon to that old mule, then you are now in a covenant relationship that God says stands. And you can either try and take the leadership out of his hands and he will never be the leader that God wants him to be. Or you can come alongside of him, you can help him, and you can support him in his leadership. Sadly, because of Moses' lack of spiritual leadership, it failed to Zipporah to pick up the slack. Do you want to hear an interesting Bible fact? Nowhere in the Old Testament do you ever find a woman performing the rite of circumcision. Nowhere. Nowhere. In the Old Testament, do you ever find a woman performing the rite of circumcision? Because God gave that responsibility to fathers. And in Exodus chapter 4, we have a glaring example of Moses not doing what he was supposed to do. And it failed to Zipporah to do it. And look, look at her response to that again. Exodus chapter 4. And it came to pass, verse 24 By the way, in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he, that is God, let him, that is Moses, go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Do you think she liked that circumcision job? Do you think she liked having to do that? Was she comfortable in that role, or did it cause her to be upset with her husband because he hadn't done what he was supposed to do? And so I think that there's a great lesson for us here that we have a responsibility to lead our homes and to set our house in order. The home, our family, Is the most important place this side of heaven. It's the most important. I can't think of any place, any people that are more important to me this side of heaven than the people that live in my house the people that live in my home, the wife that God gave me. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, obtaineth favor of the Lord. Uh, The Bible says that we have a unique relationship together where we become one flesh. The husband-wife relationship is unlike any other relationship on planet Earth. It is a volitional relationship that becomes the most intimate relationship on planet Earth. And God ties husbands and wives together in a way that He ties no other relationship together. I'm telling you, that's the most important human relationship to me and second to that are my children that God has given to me and this side of heaven there's no place more important to me than my home and I want to make sure that I'm doing what God called me to do before I step to a pulpit before I share the gospel before I preach a sermon I want to make sure that my house is in order and that I'm being the husband and the father that I'm supposed to be you see, there's so many things in our life that vie for our time and for our attention that demand a deep level of commitment if we're going to be excellent at it. There's a lot of you who have jobs or careers that are very demanding. You've got to put time and effort in those. But may we learn a lesson from Moses tonight that, look, it doesn't matter what's waiting out there. If we've neglected this primary responsibility of our home, then that interrupts the entire journey. That jeopardizes everything else that God had in store for us. And so here's my message tonight. Here's the takeaway I want you to have tonight. It is that we as husbands and wives fulfill our God-given roles and let's help each other in the spirituality of our home let's just help each other look if you want to fight just step outside your door man i'm telling you that's what 2020 feels like to me how about you I mean, it just feels like there's pressure everywhere we go. There's potential for disagreement. There's political pressure. There's mask pressure. I mean, there's just every type of thing. And and you can find conflict anywhere you go. But when we step inside those doors, how about that not be the fighting place? How about that not be the conflict place? How about that be the haven? How about that be the, the, the closest glimpse of heaven on earth is in the Christian home? How about we as husbands and wives say, hey, you, you know what? I, I may not be able to do a lot of things. I told him this morning preaching, I said, here's a fun fact about Justin Hall. After a guy sang about 45 minutes, I said, Justin Hall has never, ever been asked to do special music in any church anywhere at any time of my life. And that's good judgment on behalf of the people who are in charge of the music ministry. Because I'm not equipped for that. I'm not gifted for that. There are some things that you are not gifted for. But let me tell you what we can do. We can commit ourselves to fulfill our God-given role and help each other in the spirituality of the home. And by the way, this continues after the kids are gone. Can I preach to our empty nesters for a moment? I have witnessed, I've witnessed in my own family, I have witnessed that husbands and wives have children together and all of a sudden becomes a child-centered home and everything circles around the children. And because the children are at the center of everything, the husbands and the wives stop working on their relationship. The children grow up and move out and mom and dad are strangers who don't really like each other anymore because they haven't cultivated the relationship while the children were in the home. And basically, they've divided the bills in two, and she pays her half, and he pays his half, and they're like ships passing in the night. That's not how God intended it to be. We can continue on even after our kids, or I know they suck the life out of them. You don't have much energy after they come along, But let me tell you, you can muster it up by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can commit that even in that period of your life, you're going to help each other be the best Christian that you can be, the best version of yourself that you can be. I don't want to become the worst version of Justin Hall because it gets worse than this. I want to be the best version. And you know who can help me do that? The people that live in the house with me. And I can do the same for them. So let's determine. Let's determine that we're going to help each other fulfill our spiritual responsibilities to God. Let's not be guilty of hindering the people that we are closest to from following God. Somebody in Moses' house was a hindrance. It was either Zipporah or it was Moses. But somebody hindered the other person. That's not how we want our homes to be. And so let's take this advice. Let's set our house in order. Would you bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this obscure passage of Scripture that we understand is just as inspired as the greatest soteriological verse in the Bible. And that we want to be keen, observant students. That we want to be like Moses who notices a bush that burns a little too long and turns aside to look at it and as a personal encounter with you. Fathers, we turn aside to look at these verses. We realize that it is more than just an interesting sideline in this story. It is an insight into the home of Moses and Zipporah and the neglect of some spiritual responsibility. Oh, Father, I know... I know that life is busy. I know that people are tired. I know uh, that husbands and wives and parents get drained. And I know that it's easy, Lord, uh, to neglect these spiritual foundations. But help us as husbands, help me as a husband, help wives as wives to determine tonight to commit ourselves to help our spouse, to help our children to fulfill the role that God's given to them and to help them in their walk with the Lord. God, help us not to be a hindrance to the people that we love the most. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.